morning. It's always good to be in the house of the Lord and uh, with his people. And uh, we're going to be continuing through uh, 1 John. If you want to turn there, we're into the third chapter. And you know, when, when uh, John's been pretty hard on us uh, through this epistle, he's given us some um, tests and self-examinations. He's talked about the Antichrist and the little Antichrists that uh, sometimes get into our uh, lives. He's talked about the spiritual state and how sometimes we love the world more than we love God. He talked about the deceptions of the last hour and really letting um, the truth of God abide in us. And, and sometimes when we are perfectionists, I don't know if any of you are perfectionists here, I don't know if I'm quite a perfectionist, but I like to get things right, I guess, and sometimes that, that drives me. And so when we do that sometimes, and as we do that in our families or in our church, or sometimes I think we can almost get to the point of discouraging uh, others. And I think John recognizes this in this epistle. He's been really challenging us. He's been giving us the ideal. He's been giving us exactly what... Uh, Christ would want from us and expect from us. And now he comes to chapter 3, and it's like in the beginning of chapter 3 here, he says, you know, it's going to be okay. And you might say, well, why is it going to be okay? Well, what does it say? Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. He says, you're my child. God is telling us, with our flaws and our inabilities and sometimes our, our failures of epic proportions, he says, when we have Jesus as our Savior, he says, you are a child of God. And so when we look at our families, we can see that maybe in the life of our children. We raise them, we, we try to do best, we expect sometimes perfection out of them, even though maybe we don't always say that. Uh, and sometimes our children can get discouraged. But we say, you know, it's okay. We're a family. And so as a family, we come together, and he's going to talk a lot about this. John speaks of, of this amazement, um, of this love that God has. And you know, there's a, uh, a chorus or a, a song that we sing sometimes, Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you, and all I do, I honor you. Apostle John could have wrote that lyric, because this is what he is saying. It's amazing. The love that God has given us is amazing, and it says he's bestowed upon us, and that speaks of many things when we talk about this, and different versions read a little bit differently. But first, it speaks of a measure of love that God has for us. Do we ever think of that measure of love to us? Uh, it could literally be translated, and it is, I think, in some Bibles, that he's lavished upon us. Have we ever heard that word, lavish? It's just like, just poured out upon us. He's just covered us with this. And this is the love that God has. Secondly, it speaks in the manner of, of God giving of his love. So it's not just the measure of the love, but it's even him just giving us his love. He has bestowed upon. It's this one-sided giving. So when we think of one-sided giving instead of a return for something, what might be another word we think about that, that one-sided giving? It starts with a G. R. 
Grace. Grace. Grace is receiving that which we do not deserve, right? And so when he is bestowing this upon us, it speaks of this love that's one-sided. God has lavished us upon us. It's not because of anything we've done. It's not because I'm a better person than another person. It's because God has loved us. And the Bible even tells us that, <clears throat> that it's not so much that we love God, but that he first loved us. And so it talks about this bestowing. So what makes us slow to believe in this love of God as we look through these things? What, what, what hinders us sometimes? Well, sometimes it's pride in our life. Men and, and people, humankind, are sort of prideful. Pride thinks that we need to prove something, that we need to do something. I often said salvation would seem so much simpler to the world if we could pay $10 and receive salvation. Because then we feel like, well, we've done something to earn it. But when somebody just gives you something that you don't deserve, that you don't earn, that, that you really, you know, that there's nothing that could even fathom why you should be receiving that, when we have something that, like that, it takes pride out of the way. See, pride tells us that we need to do something to prove ourselves worthy. And the Bible tells us that we don't have that. It says everything that we do is as filthy rags. That it's the righteousness of Christ that really brings this grace to us. And yet he calls us children of God. Sometimes it's unbelief. You know, you can look in the world today, you can see the hurt, you can see the confusion, you can see just the, the mess that is out there. And so some people sometimes have a hard time uh, with unbelief in, in this love of God. You know, how can God love when we see all these things that are going on in the world today? For others, sometimes it just takes time. And I think of this sometimes as trust. And we don't always think about this when we think about our relationship with God. But do you trust God? We talk about trusting Jesus as our Savior, or accepting him as our Lord and Savior. But when we've gone through difficult times, when we've faced difficult things... Sometimes it's difficult to trust in God, and, and it takes time. And, and so sometimes in our lives, we, we uh, for lack of better words, sometimes test God. We, we give him this little bit and say, do you really love me, Lord? And he says this, I want to bestow my love upon you. I want to lavish you with my love because you are my child. Now, we raised five kids. All of them had their, their ups and downs in their uh, years. They're all out on their own now. Uh, but they always knew that we loved them. And they always knew that even if they were involved in things that we didn't agree with, that we were there for them. And how much more is the Father there for us? He says that he has, has, um, has this love, this grace, this mercy for us, that he stands there with open arms pleading, it says in one of our hymns, for sinners to come home. It says that he is faithful and just to forgive us those who repent of our sins. He has lavished these things upon us. And he says that we should be called the children of God. And so when we look at salvation, we could have said, you know what? There's a lot of ways that God could have provided salvation for us, I believe. You know, he could have looked down on us with compassion or pity. You know, these poor people look at them and the, the distress that they're in. And he probably could have found many ways to uh, provide salvation. After all, he's God. He could do what he wanted to do. But how did he do that? 
He did that through his son. He did that through Jesus Christ, his one and only begotten son. And God went beyond just providing a way of, of salvation to us. It says this, that he wanted to call us his children. Well, who calls us his children? Well, it says the father does. He says this in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 6, 18, I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. So this is about the Trinity that I'm talking about now. So God the Father has said, I will call you sons and daughters. I mean, what have I done to deserve that? You know, I've had some friends that have um, been adopted in their life. And sometimes they'll say, you know, I don't know why God blessed me so much to give me a family or to, to come in. I even have a, a friend, some of you know him, I'm, just, I'm not going to mention his name, but um, he had a, he's adopted children, in his, him and his wife, in their life. And one of their adopted children has gone pretty far south as far as trouble and things of the world just have a hold of them. And he's getting older in age, and he says, you know, we're trying to figure out our situation for the end of life. You know, what, what are we going to do with our assets? And he said, you know, my other two kids, they're, they're pretty right on the straight and narrow. But he says, you know, he's not. But he says, he's my son. And I want to give him his fair share, but I just want to find ways that he doesn't abuse it and stuff like this. And I thought, that's not the way the world thinks about things. The world would say, no, he doesn't deserve that. And in some families it does. But he says, this is my son. Even though he's adopted, this is my son. And Jesus says the same thing, or God the Father says the same thing. He has adopted us. We are the children of God. I don't even know if you can wrap your, your, your head around that. That God would call us his children. It says that Jesus does. Hebrews 2.11. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. So Jesus says, you know, uh, in another place, you're no longer servants but friends. Here it says, he's not ashamed to call us brethren. The Holy Spirit does it. It says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. That we are the children of God, Romans 8, 16. So we are called many times in the Bible, children of God. And so it's like John is saying, you know, you're, you're in the struggle and the struggle is real. And as you go through this life, don't get discouraged because you are my children. And I will take care of you. God has us in the palm of his hand. Sometimes we think that the redemption is just regaining what was lost with Adam. But I want to tell you that we are granted more in Jesus than Adam ever had. Amen. You know that? Through the blood of Christ, we have more than Adam ever had in his life. That should encourage us. That should make us joyful. We can stand in our Father's shadow knowing that he has blessed us greatly. If we are truly children of God... Okay, and this is what John is sort of challenging us with, is are we truly children? Now, only God knows the heart, and so we don't get into judging other salvation other than by what they tell us. But I do believe that there's a lot of people that believe that they're Christians that really aren't. And John has sort of laid out this pattern that if you are truly a Christian, it's going to show. If you're truly a Christian, these things are going to be evident in your life. Okay, so he says... You know, if you claim to walk, if you claim you're in the light and walk in darkness, it says you lie, and the truth is not. So we, we have these things that we understand. 
But if we're truly children of God, it's going to show in our likeness to the Father and to our love for his siblings. I think the hardest thing, one of the hardest things that God gives us to do is to love one another. And even within the church of God. As a matter of fact, I think many times it's easier to love your neighbor who's not a church-going or God-fearing person than it is sometimes to love those that we sit in the pew with. Because we're closer, right? You ever see siblings fight? You know, you got those two, they're, they're always, I don't did your boys ever? No? Lacey never, right? So we used to have this, what they call it was a get-along shirt. It was like one of my shirts, which was huge, and I could put like two kids inside of it through the same head hole. It's like, you're going to sit there until you get along. You know? Why are you fighting? That's your brother and sister. You're supposed to love one another. Man, you know? But sometimes they know each other so well. They get under each other's skin. Things don't always go the way that they want things to go. Isn't that true in the body of Christ? But God says we're to love one another. We're to have this love for one another. And it shows in our life. John says, as a true believer... Walking close to Christ, these things will show. It says, but as many as received him, to him they gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. We should rejoice when we are sitting with somebody else that is a child of God. We're going to the same place. We're going to be spending all eternity together. So it does no good to be having issues down here right now, right? We're going to be spending eternity with him and with God and, and, and with one another, rejoicing in the presence of God. But many times those faults that John is pointing out really show Christianity's or religion's desire to be so much like the world that the world can't tell the difference. John says we should be able to see the difference. It's not that we're more righteous or that we're holier than thou. But we have a different set of standards. We have a different set of principles that, that guides us and leads us in the life. We have a different way of life. We shouldn't be striving to be as much like the world as we can. Or as we talked about last week, you know, how far from the, from the shepherd can I stray and still be part of the flock? That's not what God has called us to do. He says, get right in there. Get right in there and be a part of that. How close to the world can I get? You know, without falling in. And we talked about the difference of being, you know, barely saved and almost saved. As a believer, our goal should be to be as far away from those things as we can and to be as close to Christ as we can. And that's something that a church can't legislate and shouldn't legislate. Those are personal relationships. You know, in a, in a good family, many times the children grow up and say, you know, I want to emulate these things of my mom. I want to I be like my dad when he grows up. And I know a lot of us fall short in those things. I've fallen short in those things. But in a child's eyes, that's sort of their, their thing. When you're growing up, it's, it's the parent that's the hero. It's the parent that can do nothing wrong. My dad's bigger than your dad. And, and we have those things that go on. My mom's a better cook than your mom. And, and you know, we have these things in our life. And, and so in our Christian life, it's the same thing. We should be looking to the to the Lord and saying, I want to be like you, because that's what he has called us to do. Verse 2 tells us, Beloved, now that we are children of God, it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, 
But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him like he is. The destiny of God's children. That even though we don't have it right yet, we strive to be like him. And the time is coming when we're going to be in his presence and we're going to see Jesus as he is. We can have that assurance that we are going to be like him in the image of Christ. Like we said, the spirit testifies with our spirit that we are of him. Don't ever quench the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit in our life is there to guide us. It's there to protect us. It's there to warn us. It's like pain in our body. When we have pain in our body, we know that something's wrong or that we should stop doing that because we're going to cause further damage. So the Holy Spirit is in our life doing that very thing. He's saying, don't get too close to this. You're going to get burned. You're going to get hurt. The Bible speaks of God's great plan for our life in Romans 8, 29, for those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Do you know that that's God's plan? When we look in the Bible and we read about the potter and the, and the clay, he says, I want you to be a moldable piece of clay. I don't want you to be a, a dried out clump out in the desert. I want you to be moldable and pliable because I want to conform you to the image of my son that we might be the firstborn amongst many brethren, it says. Are you allowing God to do that work in your life? Are you allowing him to smooth off some of those rough edges? Or are you sort of hard and fast in where you're at? I believe in our life and each and every day that God is, is working in our life to, to continually challenge us and change us and, and move us ever closer to him. Sometimes we're just like hanging on like, oh, I don't know. You know, you ever see the ones that go up on the diving boards? It's like, come on, jump, you can do it. And, and they're, they're hanging on to whatever they need to hang on to, and they won't quite let go, and they're just a little bit short. God says you need to be able to let go of this and hang on to him. And he will take you where you need to be. God's, God's ultimate uh, goal in our life is to make us like Jesus. You might say, well, that's idealistic. I'm not going to be like Jesus in this life. There's too much sin. There's too much, many things that are going on. But you're talking about God. And though we're not in the place of Jesus, he is our Lord and our Savior. We're not little Jesuses. But he wants to make us in that image of him. He wants to purify us, and he wants us to, to live righteously. He wants us to be this bright light that draws others unto Christ. It speaks really of the fulfillment of his purpose in our life. We should long to be like Jesus. And I, I want to ask you in, in your heart, you don't need to answer out loud, but do you long to be more Christ-like? Do you long to be closer to God? Do you long to know more of him and about him and and, and to be like him and to reflect him in the lives of others. <clears throat> because God's never going to force a person to be like Jesus. He's not going to make you into something that, that you don't want to be. He says the desire lies within our relationship with him. If you're born again, you have the spirit in you. Our desire should be to be like him. God never forces us 
to do things. He, he may make circumstances awful awkward and, and sort of difficult around us to get us back into his will. But the sobering and eternal truth is this, is that God will give a man what he really wants. If you want to be like Jesus, if you want to be like our Lord and, and, and live according to his word, he's going to give you the strength. He's going to give you the desire. He's going, to, he's going to give you the ability to make those changes in your life in this world as well as all eternity. But if you don't have that desire, if you want to keep living in the world, he's also going to allow you to do that. If you really don't want to be like Jesus, it's also going to show in your life right now. We can see that in, in, in the lives around us. People that profess one thing, but the Bible says, you know, with their lips they, they swell great words, but their heart is far from him. So it's going to show in their life now, and it was also going to be a fact in all eternity, because that's what hell is for. So he really is going to give man what he wants. It's not that God desires to send anybody to hell, but some people choose not to trust in Christ, not to trust in God. So the Bible says as children, though, and John gives us this, this, this beautiful assurance that everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. We shall be like him. That's a wonderful thought to think, you know. Um, I was thinking of, of those songs that say, you know, I, I'm not what I should be, but I'm not what I used to be. You know, thank God I'm not what I used to be. You know, God is at work in our lives. So none of us is going to be finished until we see him clearly. So we talk about mirrors. We look in the mirrors. I've shared before, I don't like to look in the mirror quite so much now, at least closely, you know, just enough to make sure the hair is combed or whatever. Because our, our mirrors are pretty good today. I mean, you can get up pretty close. You can see all these little flaws, wrinkles that are coming on or whatever age spots I think I'm getting now. I don't know what they're all about. But in the old days, it was just a, a piece of tin that was usually polished and everything was distorted. Well, the Bible tells us that our, our true picture of Jesus right now is a little bit distorted. We can see it through the Word of God. But as you know, when we all read the Word of God, we all have a little bit different take on certain things. And so the Bible tells us what? Now we see dimly as in a mirror. But then, face to face... When we come to the presence of Christ, we are going to see him for who he is. And, and I want us to think about this life as we are, are purifying ourselves, and we purify ourselves not of our own works and, and desires, but of God's work in our life as we allow him to do this work in our life. That the greatest glory of heaven is not going to, to be personally glorified. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm going to get to heaven, I'm going to get some of these... Uh, jewels and recognition for some of the things I've done for the Lord. I don't think it's going to be that. But it's going to be in the, the unhindered and unrestricted and really uh, unrestricted presence of the Lord. I try to sometimes imagine what that's going to be like. To see Jesus as he is and to be in a place where nothing hinders us. We're not going to be distracted by this or that. There's not going to be, you know, uh, things that are pulling us this way. There's not going to be interpretations because truth is going to be there in Christ. And we are going to see him as he is, unhindered and unrestricted in our worship. Isn't, 
I don't know. Are you ever restricted in your worship? Sometimes I, I you know, you see people that, oh, should I raise my hand or not? I was like, mm-hmm, you know, I, am, I my hands up too much? Shouldn't do that. Dave has his hands up all the time. <laughs> I don't know. You, doesn't your arm get tired? I feel like I should be like Moses' helpers and go over there and just, I'll hold your hand up for a while, bro. <laughs> but we get unhindered. Sometimes, you know, we, we don't glory in the Lord like we should. And it's not that we need to do this. We can do it in our heart. We can do it by bowing and praying. We can do it by standing or kneeling. But we're to give glory to God in, in what he's doing. To be unhindered and un, unrestricted in that. First Corinthians says, For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall be known. Or it says, Then I shall know just as I am known. That day of clarity is coming. When we see Jesus as he is, and it's going to be clear as a crystal sea. And we are just going to be overwhelmed. J.B. Phillips has a translation in the Bible and revelation about what it's going to be like to see Jesus. I sort of like it. He was dressed in a long robe with a golden breastplate. His head and his hair were white as snow, white wool. His eyes blazed like fire and his feet shone as the finest bronze glows in the furnace. His voice had the sound of great waterfall. And I saw that in his right hand he held seven stars. A sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth. And his face was ablaze like the sun at its height. I don't know about you, but when I, when I read that, it doesn't remind me of my grandma's face saying, Come here, sonny. It shows power, but it shows majesty and beauty. See, my mind can't quite do that. I'm seeing dimly. But I'll tell you, when I get to heaven and I see that, I'm just going to be in awe. I'm going to be in total awe of who he is. We also know that when we get to heaven, Jesus is still going to bear the scars of his suffering here on earth. It's going to be there. It was there in his glorified body. It says in John 20, in the Gospel of John, as he talked about that the nail prints, and the hole in his side. But we will see him as he is, and we shall be like him. John says we can struggle in this life. We don't always get it right. We, we fall short. I, I like when the, the praise team sings, um, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. That's just one that always touches my heart. Because it just talks about us making church and making religion and making everything about the way we want it. But the verse is, it's all about you. See, Billy Billy told me once, he said, a few weeks ago, and he's still helping at the brethren there. But he said, you know who came to church today? And I was like, no, who? God showed up. It was, wow. And he says, you know, God is going to do great things if we just stay out of the way. And I think about that sometimes. Sometimes we get in the way of God's things and and what he has planned for us. We shall see him as he is. John made the connection about seeing Christ and transforming our lives to be like him. He says, you can do this. It's like the parent encouraging his kid. You can do this. Try again. You fall down. Stand up. Brush yourself off. Give it another go. You can do it. Or one of our younger granddaughters is just learning to ride her bike. And she had training wheels on and off come the training wheels. And guess what happens? 
Kaplonk, kaplonk. Cry and scream. And, I don't want I'm scared. Get back on. You can do it. God tells us the same thing, and John is telling us this. We can be encouraged. And he says this, knowing our destiny with him helps us to allow him to purify in our lives right now. We're never going to reach perfection in this life. We know that. But we strive for that. Everyone who has this hope in, in himself, it says, purifies himself. When we know that God wants us to be more like Jesus, it really makes us want to be more like him right now. I just don't want to be like Jesus in heaven. I want to be like the Lord now. I want to be what he wants me to be right here on earth. And having that anticipation of being with Jesus can be and have a marvelous effect on our lives. You know, I'm not very musical, but I collect, uh, and I don't even know how I started this, but I collect old hymnals. And uh, like I said, I, I can't read music. I mean, I know up and down, that's about it. Uh, probably sing monotone most of the time. Can't play an instrument. But I, I love old hymnals. And I read them like books sometimes. I, I just, they, they have a good story. And, and I mean, the modern ones do too, but we don't sing as many of the old ones. But I came across this one, and uh, it has two titles if you ever want to look it up. One is Nothing But Leaves. The other is The Master Is Seeking a Harvest. And I just wanted to share the verses of it because I think it's something that will spur us on as Christians as we walk and as we look at what God is looking for in our life. Anyways, it says this. It says, in lives um, he's redeemed by his blood, he seeks for the fruit of the Spirit and works that will glorify God. Nothing but leaves for the Master. Oh, how his loving heart grieves when instead of the fruit he is seeking, we offer him nothing but leaves. He looks for his likeness reflected in lives that are yielded and true. He's looking for zeal in the winning of souls he has entrusted to you. Nothing but leaves for the master, oh how his loving heart grieves, when instead of the fruit he is seeking, we offer him nothing but leaves. He's yearning for someone to carry the life-giving word far and near, He's waiting for hearts that are willing, for ears that are open to hear. Nothing but leaves for the master, oh how his loving heart grieves, when instead of the fruit he is seeking, we offer him nothing but leaves. And this is made out of Matthew 21, 19. It says, seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it but found nothing except leaves. And he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. Are you a Christian that just has leaves? Or do you have fruit in your life? Are you just offering God leaves or are you offering them fruit of the Spirit that He is developing in you and wants you to have in your life? It was interesting. I sent this uh, song out to a couple people last night and I got a message back that uh, from one of them, I'm speaking on fruit this morning. So God has a way of communicating those things. But the master is seeking a harvest. And he says, be encouraged. You are my children. I have provided for everything that you need. Trust in me. Walk in my ways.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. And what a blessing just to behold what manner it says of love that you have given to us that we are called the children of God. And it should not bother us that the world does not know us. They don't know our ways. They don't know the things that drive us. They don't understand you because their eyes are dim. But Lord, you have called us to be lights into a dark world. And so Lord, be encouraging to each one here. Lord, there may be some here that are going through struggles right now, valleys right now. And you know, we don't appreciate the mountaintops until we have gone through those valleys. And sometimes if we're living on the mountaintop all the time, it's it's just becomes blah. So Lord, we thank you for trials in our life, that they help us grow closer to you, that it helps our dependence upon you. Lord, we need to be in the word of God. We need to let it speak to us. We need to let your spirit lead us and guide us and, and direct us in our lives. So Lord, may we be a blessing to others. May we be an encouragement to one another too. Sometimes just that kind word, just that thank you for doing what you do means so much to somebody that could be in a struggle. So Lord, help us to let your light shine through us in a bright way, to be an encouragement to others, to be a drawing card for others to know you. Help us to uh, share that gospel message of hope. The world is searching. We have the answer. Give us that boldness. We just ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.